You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. All right, let's open our Bibles over to Luke chapter 4 this morning. We're going to do a little bit of review and then get into some new material today. Talking about freedom that we have in Christ. We're talking about, and, and our foundation verse that we'll look at in a little bit here is Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. And it says, it is for freedom, for the sake of our freedom, that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so we started last week with this verse. This is uh, Jesus, you know, we're reading it from Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. But it is, uh, Jesus is reading it uh, in the synagogue from the book of Isaiah. And of course, that was written on a scroll at the time. The Bible tells us he took the scroll, he read. This is a prophecy about Jesus, about his anointing, about his purpose, about why or, or uh, a huge part of why he came that first time. When he comes back again, <coughs> excuse me, when he comes back again, uh, he's going to have some other things that he's doing also, but this is the anointing that was on him at the time. So, he reads this, and then after this, we're not going to read that far, but, but he, he says, he sits down, he gives the scroll back to the attendant, he sits down in church and says, today this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. And everybody begins to freak out because they've been hearing it all their life and for generations about the Messiah. Just in, in saying that, Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. Do you know how crazy it is? This isn't our topic today. Do you know how crazy it is for people to say that Jesus never even claimed to be God? He, that, it's why they kept picking up rocks to try and stone him. It's why they had these big arguments with him. There are lots of places in the scripture to the people he was talking to he was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be one with the Father. He was claiming here to be the Messiah. It's all over the New Testament. It's just, I mean, you hear that sometimes that from people that don't want to believe that Jesus is God. He never even claimed to be God. It's like, anyway, that's a little crazy. Uh, self-justification, justifying our, we always get crazy with that whenever we do it. All right, so let's read the verses here. Luke chapter 4. It says, the Spirit of the Lord, Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because, all right, that word because means for this very purpose. This word upon is used over and over and over, both Old Testament and New, to talk about when the Spirit of God comes upon someone, it is the Holy Spirit coming upon us. It's always to activate and carry out ministry. Um, you know, I've, I've said this to you many times. When we get born again, we give our lives to Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes into us, the Bible says. He comes to live in us. And, and there's an aspect of his ministry there. When we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it uses a different word. It says that the Spirit comes upon us. And whenever the Spirit comes upon somebody, it activates and releases ministry. He comes for a purpose. And that's what this is about. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the Amplified there says, the day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. So we talked through all this um, last week, but we noticed that the word for freedom or liberty is used twice in this short passage. It's, it's the point of this passage. He came to set us free. He is the deliverer. Uh, the, the Greek word that's used for liberty or freedom there. It means to uh, release a person from anything that would restrain them, anything that would tie them up, anything particularly that would restrain them in their relationship with God or from their relationship with God. This word means that Jesus came to remove that. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he removes that. He removes 
anything in our lives, and again, that can vary. What restrains you, tries to restrain you, in your relationship with God may be different than what tries to restrain me in my relationship with God. But the, the blood of Jesus, what he did at that cross, sets us free from all of it. All right. We saw that the term captive here, he came to set the captives free. That speaks specifically of the idea of prisoners of war. It speaks of prisoners of war. We had been made prisoner. We looked at these scriptures last week, a number of scriptures. We were made prisoner by sin. I'll, I'll read one more to you um, this week. And when I say that, it was as, as Adam uh, accepted and received the word of the devil instead of the word of God, all of mankind came under the, the power of sin. That's over in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It tells you that. John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. He says, and it tells us over in the book of Romans, it tells us a number of places. Anyone, we become a slave of whoever we give ourselves to obey. And in every case throughout our life, we began this whole thing in slavery to sin. And it doesn't matter what a good person you are. It doesn't matter what a good person you were. It's got nothing to do with that. There's a sin condition in the world, and we are all born into separation from God, and every one of us need a Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. So this, it tells us here, uh, and I'm just going through this review somewhat quickly here, where it says that he came to set at liberty those who were oppressed, I love this. That Greek word for oppressed refers to something that has been broken into pieces. It's been crushed. It's been pulverized. It has been broken into pieces. It's been made unusable for its intended purpose. Talked about the fact that we were all created. Mankind was created to interact with God on a personal level, to worship the Lord, to uh, be his stewards and representatives in this earth, to carry his authority in this earth, all these different things. The, those were, that is what we were created for, and God has not changed his intended purpose for mankind or for any of us. And so it says he came to set at liberty those who had been broken into pieces, those who had been crushed. They'd been made by sin. They'd been made unusable for God's intended purpose. It this also speaks of something that has been crushed to the point of being unidentifiable. It's like you, could, you can't even, from a spiritual perspective, you can't even look at us in our, in our state of separation from God and see God's intended purpose because of what, I mean, sin is that powerful. And I'm, and I'm not just talking here about our individual sins, I'm talking about that sin condition that came upon the earth that Romans chapter 5 verse 12 talks about the condition we were born into. It's a condition of darkness. It's a condition of separation from God. Jesus came to set us free from that, to restore us to our original identity, to restore us to our original purpose, to set us totally free from all of that. All right. So when we look back, and I'll just add this real quickly, we look back, for example, at the book of Exodus. The, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, I mean, it really happened. It's not just a story, but it is a prophetic illustration of what Jesus came to do. They were set free from captivity. They came, into, uh, they came out of Egypt, started toward the promised land, got there eventually. Uh, it was a miraculous deliverance that took place. They were brought through an impossible situation. The enemies coming from behind, the Red Sea in front, God divided that sea and they came through uh, into the promised land. They came through and, and began to move toward the Jordan River. And so, but what we see with them is that after just a little while, 
when there were challenges, when there were pressures, when they didn't know how God was going to feed them, they didn't know where the water was going to come from, they didn't know these different things. Or when Moses uh, went up to receive the Ten Commandments, first thing they did was build a golden calf, they built an idol. We see that we see them over and over and over thinking back on their captivity and saying, you know what, it was really good back there. You know, I mean, all they did was scream to get out. And then once they're out into freedom for a little while, they start wanting to go back in. And this is, it's, it's the same idea that we deal with. We come out of the captivity of sin and death in our lives. We come to Christ. And as we begin to go through life, if we don't stand firm, as Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 tells us, if we don't stand firm and we don't guard our hearts, we don't guard ourselves, we will find ourselves tending back toward whatever held us captive or or (laughs) tending toward something that would hold us captive. And it's just, a, it's just part of the, the, the old nature. And it's part of us feeling comfortable with things that we shouldn't be comfortable with. It's when we come into freedom, that it always brings responsibility. Freedom is always messy. We see this in the earth. We see this. This is why some people feel much more comfortable with whether it's a government in control or someone else in control. They want control. They want somebody to control things in their lives. We as pastors sometimes have people that they they don't want us just to show them, you know, help them find the way and, and maybe the word they need for right then to move forward in their life. They really want you to make a decision for them. They want you to tell, you know, to somehow uh, cover them and make decisions for them so that they don't have to do it. You know, anyway, there's a lot of ways I can go. We'll talk about some of them in a little bit here. But there are a lot of times we have this tendency to allow ourselves to get pulled back into captivity. And so it's really important for us, even with the messiness of freedom, even with the fact that it puts responsibility on us, even with all of that and the fact that where there's freedom, there are going to be mistakes, there are going to be things that don't go so well, there's going to be all that, freedom is worth it. Okay, freedom is worth it. So it's really important that we, uh, you know, when when the children of Israel, when, when pressure came, and then what I see there is some people began to say, we, we should go back into captivity. Remember how good it was? Those voices began to come up. And as that gained popularity more and more, not all of them, but more and more of the population began to say, yeah, it was really good back there. We have to watch for those things in our life. Anything that would draw us back into a place that God has already set us free from. It's, and that's why, going over to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, that's why it's written the way it is. The whole book of Galatians is about a church, actually a region with a number of churches in it, that had found Christ. They were Gentiles in the first place. They weren't Jews. They found Christ. They came into a free, open relationship with him like we have. They came into a worship style that was, that was open, that was, that was new. It wasn't related to the Jewish style of temple worship and all of that. And Paul had gone and his team had gone to these various communities and they had preached Christ and people had gotten born again and filled with the Spirit and churches had begun. They raised up leaders. Things were going. People were being reached. And then a group of people that Paul calls Judaizers came along behind them and went to these places and tried to talk these, they basically told these people, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need to keep the law and keep the feasts and keep the religious regulations of Judaism. You got to do both. And that same, this isn't really the heart of what I feel like we're talking about this time, talking about freedom, but you will see that same message, that specific message, that you need to come back under the law as well as know Jesus as Savior. 
that specific message comes through the church every so many decades. Happened again in what probably the late 1990s, early 2000s, somewhere in there. Uh, there was a wave of this, and we know a lot of people that were that were living good lives for the Lord that got pulled back into that. I can't tell you all the reasons for that. I don't know why somebody would want that. I know people, they're still friends, but they're, they're right, right now, you know, this, this Friday, they celebrated Passover. It's, it's, there's no problem with celebrating Passover as long as you know who the Passover is, you know, but they feel like it's something they have to do. It's a religious obligation. They have to keep all the feasts in addition to knowing Jesus. Jesus came to set us free from those types of religious regulation. And I'm hoping I can kind of define that uh, for you this morning. But he has come and he gives us, you know, the Holy Spirit through Paul tells us, stand firm then. It's for freedom. The reason that Jesus was anointed and came to do what he did was to set us free from sin and also from religious legalism, from a religious system, a religious form without power. That's what religious legalism produces. And he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And then he tells us, stand firm then. Do not let yourselves, so here's the responsibility of freedom, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And again, just like, just like in, the, in the passage we just read over in Luke chapter 4, we talked last week about the fact that uh, that, that idea, that terminology of setting people free, releasing the captives, all of that, many places in the New Testament, that same phrase, those same words are used, and they're linked directly to free from sin. All right, and so that's legit, obviously. But in that passage, there's no qualifier. There's no specific, it doesn't say free from sin. It says free from oppression. Anything. The point of that is Jesus came to set us free from anything and everything, including sin, but including sin's domination, uh, sin's recompense, all of that certainly included but there are many more things that can bind us into a system of good works where we begin in our hearts to base our life, our expectations of, of God, our feelings about ourselves and others. We can begin to base that on a system, a list of good works. All right. Jesus came just as much to set us free from those things as from anything else, all right? So he says here, stand firm then. That term means stand firm in faith and duty. Be constant, persevere, all right? So the obvious implication there is that even after we receive Christ, there will be attack, an attack against our freedom in him, something that will try and bring us back into captivity. And Paul here is addressing this one specific area. Again, throughout the book of Galatians, remember what I just said, the book of Galatians is addressed to people who were walking in God, had received Jesus, and there was this pull and this temptation taking them out of the freedom of Christ to bring them back under a system of religious legalism. That's what the book is about. That's what he's addressing. And all through the book, that's what he addresses. And it's really interesting that he, that he, Paul, I mean, if you read through the book, he, you know, it, he came out from under that system, out from under Judaism into Christ. And so the Lord uses him to address this in others that, hey, I have stepped into this freedom. You need to step into it with me and don't let, and he says some Really harsh things about these guys. Same thing over in 2 Corinthians. These people, it was of the devil. They went around behind Paul undoing, trying to undo the work that he had done, trying to pull people back under legalism so their faith was not in just in the work of Christ. Does this make sense to you? All right. So he begins here uh, to just address, 
this one specific area, which is religious legalism. So let me give you some statements about that. Religious legalism can be a lot harder to recognize than sin. We kind of know about sin, you know, if we're paying any attention at all. We, you know, we have, we have sin lists in the Bible. We have, you know, other things that we just know in our hearts are sin. What it, whatsoever the Bible says, whatever is not birthed from faith is sin. That makes it a pretty broad category. Your sin is paid for, by the way, and we do have an avenue of repentance to just keep walking in that, in that freedom and, and uh, stay, in that, stay in that clean place with God. But religious legalism can be harder to recognize because it is a set of inherently good things to do. All right? I'm not just talking about Judaism now. I'm talking about any system of religious legalism. It is a set of things that we do and if, or don't do. They're usually things we do, things we avoid. All right? For us... Uh, we, we, we read our Bibles. Well, that's a legitimate thing to do. We, we come to church. It's a legitimate thing to do. Uh, we want to, you know, we want to display kindness. We want to have a relationship with God. We want all these things. Those are all good things to do. But what religious legalism does is it takes a set of inherently good things and gets us to do them for the wrong reason and from the wrong foundation. All right, all of a sudden we're reading our Bibles so that God will be pleased with us, so that God will bless us. We're coming and we're tithing, we're giving, so that God will bless us. All right, rather than coming and giving and tithing, knowing that in this whole system we're walking in, God's promised blessing, but we're coming and we're giving out of a spirit of gratitude for what God has done and surely what God will do. We do, have, we, we do have anticipation because God has said it. He will do great things. But we're in this kind of innocent place. I've had people over the years that have come multiple, multiple times uh, and, and said, you know, I'm, I'm a tither and God's just not blessing my business. And in that was this idea that, okay, I've done this. All right. I've usually it's I've done this, okay? So God better do this. That's legalism. We would never say that out loud usually. But but it's there in our hearts. There's this well I did my part, God. Why haven't you done this? We can get into a situation where we start to believe God for answers to prayer based on the fact that we prayed rather than based on his promises and his goodness and enjoying. The reason we pray is because he told us to, but also because we have this relationship with him. We're hunger for interaction with him. We want to pray out his heart. We want, most of the time we come to prayer and we say, Lord, what do you want to pray today? We don't just bring our list. And we don't go away from it saying, because I spent that 40 minutes in prayer, God better do this. Does this make sense to you? That's the heart of religious legalism. So it's a set of inherently good practices done for the wrong reason. Here's the definition of religious legalism. It's defined as any system whereby a person tries to make themselves acceptable to God. All right, make yourself acceptable to God or motivate God to act on their behalf through a defined set of actions and attitudes. We try to get God's acceptance based on the fact that we're doing the right things. All right? Or we try and get God to do what we want him to do. We kind of twist his arm because I did this set of things. Or... I, again, there's always things also in that. There's a list of things that good people do, but there's also a, th- a list of things that good people don't do. So because I'm doing the do's and don'ting the don'ts, God ought to. That's, that's the heart of it. 
And let me say this, every, this isn't limited to, we're talking about religious legalism, but this premise exists uh, throughout the earth. It is a tendency of mankind, even in secular moral systems. There is, if it's not based on the, on the work of Jesus, okay, then what constitutes you being a good person and people liking you and you being doing the acceptable things in society, you being politically correct, you, you doing what is acceptable as a good person today, all of that is a form of legalism. And, here's, and the kicker is, they're good things to do. But when we do them from that heart, so we see this in religion. When I talk about religion versus relationship with Jesus, this is what I'm talking about. Religion is a form, it is a system, and it has no power. Relationship with Jesus is based on what he did at the cross, period. And me receiving that through his grace and my faith connecting with that, period. Out of that relationship will be birthed from the heart, from the inside, from the leading of the Holy Spirit, lots of good things that we do. We should be nicer people when we're walking with Jesus and when we're not, right? I mean, we should hunger to know him better. We should love his word. We should spend time in prayer, all those things. But they come out of the relationship. They come out of a love for God and, and a, a, so much gratitude. I think there's just so much of what we do is it's out of gratitude for what he has done. And, and we just want to we want to know him. We want to press into him. We want to experience his presence. So there are things that grow out of that, and, and the Bible calls it fruit. We begin to bear fruit, but it's not this system where you have to do this on this day and that on that day and this on the next day, and you better do it this way and you better do it in that order, and you better not do this along the way. And when you do all of that, I'm a good person. Whether we're talking spiritually or whether we're talking things, uh, other things that, that we would do to be acceptable to people around us. Does that make sense to you? All right. So we don't need, one of these things was, uh, we're trying to make ourselves acceptable to him. We are acceptable to him because of the blood of Jesus. There is no other way to be made acceptable to God. But once we accept what Jesus did at the cross, you are acceptable to him on your worst day. You are loved by him on your worst day. Doesn't mean he doesn't want to change our attitudes and behavior, but he does it from the inside. Here's the difference between religious legalism and what the Lord, the freedom he's brought us into. When we talk about freedom, and I think I mentioned this last week, when you talk about it from the Bible, it doesn't mean lawlessness. The Bible's against lawlessness, no regulation. That's not what the Bible calls freedom. It doesn't mean anarchy. It doesn't mean I can do whatever I want to do. It doesn't mean any of those things. What it means is we're now being led from the inside by the Holy Spirit. He's imprinting his will and his life on the heart. And so we are fulfilling the regulations that used to be in law from the inside, not from the outside. We don't have to have a set of regulations that we have to adhere to that we can read every morning and make sure we do these things and don't do those things. Now the Spirit of God is in us, walking with us and, and leading us in a way that all of that life is coming from the inside. And so, yeah, our attitudes do change and our actions do change and they begin to look more like Jesus, but it's happening from the inside. It's not regulation. It's not that I have to do this or God's gonna punish me. It's none of those things. It is walking with Jesus and allowing him to transform us on the inside. Does that make sense to you? All right, so we don't have to do a bunch of things to become acceptable with God. The one thing we need to do is put our faith in the work of Jesus, period, and then stand firm and keep it there and not let yourself be brought back under a yoke of slavery. And depending on what kind of background you came out of, some of you came out of very strongly religious systems. I mean, there are religious systems out there that tell you 
what foods you can eat and what foods you can't eat and, and uh, what day you have to do this and how and the order that you have to do things in, you know. I mean, I, I was raised very loosely, thank God, so I didn't really get caught up in it. And, you know, you had to go to confession on Saturday and then you had to go to church on Sunday and then you received communion there. And you had to do all these things in this order and you did the same things every single week. And if you did that, you know, we're just coming out of the season of Lent. And, you know, you can actually celebrate the meaning of Lent in a very living way, you know, if you desire to do that. But I used to work with a lot of guys who were, uh, well, they were Catholic, but they, I mean, sort of, you know, they were Catholic like I was Catholic. They never went to church. They didn't have any real connection, but they didn't go any other time of year. But come around to uh, Lent coming up, I worked with all these guys. They'd go out and just party their butts off, you know, on Tuesday. That's what Fat Tuesday is. That's, you know, it's, it's let's go out, let's get drunk, let's get blasted, let's pull our shirts up, you know, let's just go nuts. And Because tomorrow, we've got to go get a symbol of repentance on our heads, a little bit. And, and then we just kind of go back to life. But I mean, Lent's coming, so... I'm going to give up, you know, I'm going to give up smoking cigarettes. I'm going to give up uh, eating fish on Friday. No, that was never it. Uh, you know, you never got to give that up. You know, you got to give some little thing up in your life. And so as long as you do that, you just go get blasted the Tuesday before. It makes no sense. You know, it, it's, there's no power to it. There's no power of transformation. It's just a set of things to do. And again, I'm not just criticizing that group. That's just, those are just ones I knew. And I always thought, well, I was a believer at the time. I just thought, this is really weird. Because in, I don't even know, how long is Lent? Six weeks or four weeks or something? How long? 40 days. Thank you. I knew that. I'm a Bible teacher. Uh, yeah, so, you know, you go through that. Well, on 41st day, we're just going to be back doing it. We're, no power. No transformation. Just a thing to do. Okay. That's religious legalism. And there are lots of different types, okay? So it, religious legalism has at its core a trust in human effort and outward actions, okay? To make yourself holy or morally acceptable, all right? Religious legalism is diametrically opposed to the system of grace and faith that Jesus brought to us. What... You can't, there are no gifts within legalism. They always have strings attached. There are no gifts. And his life comes to us as a free gift that we have to receive by faith. In legalism, you got to earn everything. You've got to deserve everything. All right? Some of us just pick this up from the world. We do go to work. And if you don't work, and the Bible says this, if you won't work, you don't eat. Okay, there, there are a lot of things in the earth that do work that way. You've got to do your job and do it well to be rewarded. That's okay in the workplace. It's not okay with God. It's not okay in our spiritual life. So sometimes we've picked that up and we just have that attitude about everything. We have that attitude about our home life. I did the dishes, so you'd better clean up the garage. That religious legalism. I see some of you reacting to that one. I'll just say legalism because that's not religious. Legalism kills relationship. It kills relationship. It puts everything on a you got to earn it scale. And if you try and live your marriage like that, it will be a mess. It's one thing to have roles and you're better at this than I am. And so we do this but we do it. We thank each other for when, you know, we're, we don't, we're not watching to see if that other person gets that done. We do things for each other, but it's not legalistic. We just, you know, we do certain things around the house. That's cool. But when you try to live your marriage that way, so that you'd better do this because I did that. The most common one that I run into is guys who go to work and then they come home and mom might be there all day with Three, four little kids. Can I have a good amen? And, and, you know, and they'll come home and they'll say, well, you know, you didn't do anything all day. 
I want to slap those guys silly. I've never been home with three or four little kids and do not intend to be. But there was a, I knew this is not something I want to do in my life. And I would much rather, and most of them, when I ask them this question, would you rather trade places with her? Well, no, you know, and they'll try, no, I'm the, you know, whatever. No, you just can't do that job. That is the harder job of the two. So appreciate it. Anyway, you know, you see people start to do that. Well, she better have this and she better have that. You're killing your, you're killing your relationship. Relationship works in grace relationship works in serving one another. It doesn't work with legalism, okay? Um, So the core principles of religious legalism, again, they're found not only in matters of faith, but they're found throughout society. So I'm going to say some things, might tick you off, might not, I don't know. Uh, So we see a lot of what we call these days, we call virtue signaling, okay? If you're online, you see this, people... And, and I'm going to say some things here. I realize not everybody who does the things I'm about to say are actually doing it for this reason, but a lot of them are. Okay, I think we can agree on that. So it's, it's, the, it's an act of putting, you do something and you put it out online or you make sure in one way or another that everybody knows you did it. Okay, why? Because you want their applause. You want to be known as a good person and good people do this. Good people recycle. I think recycling's great. But when I go to the recycling center, I notice that a lot of people have this kind of look, this kind of air about them like, we're really good people, aren't we? We're recycling. It's like, let's just put our stuff in there. You know, I mean, I don't need to get, you know, I, I get that from God. I, I don't need that from everybody else in town. We, um, I've been, and again, I don't, I don't know how anybody feels about this. I don't care. Uh, I've been interested in, how many people lately have felt the need to redo their profile picture with them all by themselves with their mask on? Because I've got a show. I'm a mask wearer. You know? If you're a mask wearer, great. If you're not, great. I don't care. But, but there's this kind of thing in society right now. All the, I think this one's really weird. I'm just kind of, I don't know that any of this is from God, okay? I think it's weird to feel like you need to post a picture of yourself getting a shot. You know, if you want to get the shot, get the shot. If you don't, okay, but why do we all have to see it? I don't, I don't really want to see you getting a shot, you know? I mean, I just, we don't do that when we go for a regular flu shot or, or I won't say that. It would have been really funny, but I'm not going to say it. Uh, other procedures the doctor might do, uh, you know, we don't. <laughs> You know, we don't post those pictures, but this one, there's this, there's been this political component, this social component to it. And it's just examples of things we, so what I'm trying to say is legalism is that need because we're not finding our acceptance through who God says we are, and what he's done for us. And so we need it from each other. We need it. And again, Nothing wrong with those things. That's the insidious part about this is so many of the things that we become legalistic about, they're not bad things. We recognize sin. They're not bad things. They're just things that we're doing for the wrong reason. Okay. I remember somebody posting a thing. I got to get off of this. I remember uh, somebody posting a thing. It was years ago. It was when I first got on uh, Facebook. It was somebody up at CB that had pulled into Clark's Market and they parked beside some big, an Escalade or I don't know, some big SUV. Well, they had to post this whole thing about, oh, we were just outraged. We were just, because they drove a Prius or something and these people drove a gas guzzler and they had to move in the parking lot. Even if you did that, why post it? Why do you have to put this out there? Because I need people to know. I'm a good person. I mean, I could come, I've got a dozen more. But it's just what I recognize, and again, I'm not just criticizing, it's, it's legalism. It's legalism. And it, it tends to always follow these lines. And the other side of it is public shaming. The other side of it is, man, if, you're, if you don't fit our moral standard, we're going to out you. We're going to put this out there and get people against you. We're seeing a lot of that now. That's all legalism. And here's where it comes from. Let's jump back real quick. Only got seven minutes left. Jump back over to Genesis chapter two. 
Genesis chapter 2, I'm telling you this legalism thing has been in the earth from the moment people sin. The, the underpinnings of what this is all about goes back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is what that story is about. Genesis chapter 2, I'm just going to read verses 15 and 17, obviously a lot more to the story. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, of the garden you may freely eat. So that included the tree of life, by the way. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you surely shall die. Die there meaning separation from God. Enter into this thing that we're all born into. So we have these two trees that are talked about in the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life is where we live as Christians. It's about life. It's about trees in the scripture are they represent systems. You know, with a tree, you have roots, you have the trunk, you have the branches, you have the leaves, you have the sap flowing through, you have all this going on, and, and the ones we read about the most produce something. They produce fruit. The life that's inside the tree and coming through that whole system comes out as fruit. And you can tell what the tree's like by the fruit, Jesus said. All right, so there's this outward expression at the end of a system of life. So the tree of life is about that. It's about feeding on life. It's about living in the life of God. It is about living in this situation of grace and faith and the Spirit of God in you and fruit being produced out of your life, fruit from the life of God that is in you. So good things happen, but it's coming from the inside. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't an apple tree. It was exactly what it says. It was a tree, a system, all right? that produces a knowledge, an evaluation, a judgment, an understanding of good and evil. I know what good is, and this is what, this is what good is. Better do good. This is what evil is. Better not do evil. And that's my system. That's my system for life. I judge myself by good activity, evil activity. I judge others good activity, evil activity. I rate my relationship with God. How much good stuff did I, did I do? You know, one of the things that you'll run into with religious legalism is that you'll essentially have an Excel spreadsheet going on on the inside of you. And you'll have the good things I've done are on one side, the bad things I've done are on the other. And you actually think you can make that come out. You can balance the books on that. And, and so you rate yourself on this, oh, I did this, this, and this. I knew a person who used to live, literally, I mean, got free from it, but recognized in himself. I used to literally, when I'd done this or this, I'd go back out there and do this, this, and this, do some good things for some people so that I could even the books. And he tried to live that way. Talk about a burden. Talk about how to fail at life. Uh, and talk about, so, so what happened, I'm having to kind of rush through this, it's, this is a system where we feed on a knowledge of what's good and what's evil. That's what we think about. We build a morality within ourselves, not from what God has said, but within ourselves. Good people do this. Bad people do that. Good people don't do this and, don't, and bad people you know, do that, right? So, you, you, so good people, they deserve reward. So if I've been good, I deserve a reward from God today. If I've been bad, I deserve punishment. Even though, and this is the sad part, Jesus already took that judgment on himself for our sin and now brings us into freedom, all right? But this thing of tree of the knowledge of good and evil, tree of life, it's the underpinning of every religious or moral system in the earth apart from genuine Christianity, where we become saved through what he did, not through what we do. We put faith in him. We begin to interact with him. His life comes into us and begins to change us from the inside out. That one set apart is tree of life. 
every other system and you start looking for it, start looking at it as you see things go on, moral systems that, that exist in all kinds of different uh, levels throughout the world, they're based right here. And people will come together, they'll say, we think this is what constitutes a good person. So if you do these things, we all accept each other. That's why we have to virtue signal. So we, everybody knows I'm on the page, okay? People who don't do that th- those things, we reject. The problem with this is the exact same thing that happened in the garden starts to happen to us. If you remember when the presence of God came into that situation, the first thing they did was hide. They, they tried to hide from God. And that is a manifestation of shame, Shame attacks identity, not behavior. Shame doesn't just say, that was a bad thing you did, but I love you. Shame says, you're a bad person because you did this. All right? Shame comes in. And so so we start to hide. We start to build a false front. We start to live behind an image. We don't want anybody to really see through. We don't want anybody to see who we really are. Shame starts to build all of this. It's exactly what happened. They went and got leaves, tried to cover it. Oh, man, we're naked. You know, and God said, who told you you were naked? You know, you've been naked all along, by the way. And, but there was no shame, right? And, and, it, and so they, they tried to hide. They tried to cover. We try to, we try to do some good things to cover what we know is on the inside. All right? And the second thing they started to do was blame. All right? Adam tries to blame his wife. Wife blames the snake, you know? There was plenty of blame to go around, <laughs> But, but immediately start pointing the finger. That's, what, that's because that whole system becomes a system of judgment. It becomes a system of, well, I did all these things. You haven't, or it either produces pride. I did good enough that I'm accepted with God and God will answer my prayers, okay? Or it produces condemnation. I'm unworthy. And in that place, you have to... Now, I was thinking about this. If Karen reads her Bible more mornings this week than I do, okay, then, you know, she can feel superior because she read her Bible more hours, right? And I mean, there are people that do this, all right? And, and I'm a little inferior because of that. If I'm in that position and I know that, then it's like, you know what? If I need to pray, if I need God to do something, I better go get her to pray for me because I'm unworthy, right? Because we're not basing it on the blood of Jesus. All of a sudden, I got to get somebody else to intercede for me, to intervene for me besides Jesus. And again, you see this in all kinds of religious systems. You see this where I've got to have that intermediary. doesn't matter if it's Mary. doesn't matter if it's another person that's just... Um, you know, that you, you just perceive as being better than you are. It always leads to this, to this shame and blame uh, and, and to either us feeling superior and having pride or to us falling into condemnation. It's what always happens, okay? If I skip church this week and then something bad happens later in the week, oh, God's probably punishing me because I miss church. No, he's not. Something bad just happened, okay? You know, uh, you know, but all of these things, all of this feeling unworthy, all of these different things. So in the tree of life, we get into the word because it's full of life. We want to ingest life. We want to feed on him. We get into God's presence. We love worship because it's full of life. And this is the system we live in. We're in the tree of life. We're just, and we can come freely and, and eat of this tree. We can come freely and feed on the Lord through his word and through his presence. We pray because we love to spend time and inter- interact with him and sense him showing us how to pray and leading and guiding us. We do all these things. Again, we're, we're kind because he's kind. We don't murder because he's not a murderer. You know, we, we, we do the same things, but we do them from the inside out. That's the freedom that Jesus gave us. And I, and I just wanted to bring this out because these verses in Genesis explain a lot of what goes on in the world. This tree of life, 
tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the underpinnings of every moral system that isn't based on the blood of Jesus Christ, period. Okay? And, and you know, anyway, I, I've got to quit. Genesis chapter 4. Let's turn there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Genesis chapter 4, right before this chapter. I'm not sure if we'll be there next week or not. Paul lays this whole thing out. The difference between religious legalism and freedom in Christ. And he says some incredible things. If we don't get there next week, we'll get there in this series. I know that. Uh, but at any rate, if you go back, if you want to do that, go back and start reading through Genesis chapter, or <laughs> Galatians chapter 4, and just take your time. Yeah, it's not about Cain and killing Abel and stuff. It's, it's different than that. Uh, you, you want to uh, just, just take some time with it and understand what the Lord is teaching us there. All right, let's stand up and pray. Did you get anything out of this this morning? All right. Good people stand up at the end of the service. Thank you, Lord. Father, I, I don't even know what to say. We, we, Father, as we grab hold of some of these things, all we can say is thank you so much for delivering us out of all of this stuff. And Lord, in every one of our lives, there are areas where we're still functioning under some legalism. And Lord, we know you have come to set free those who are oppressed by anything so, Lord, if there's any place in our lives where we are still under this weight that, that, Lord, our acceptance with you or our answers to prayer or anything else like that, Father, comes from what we do apart from you, what we do through human effort. Lord, we, I just ask you, reveal it. Just keep revealing it. Just bring it out into the light and eliminate it from our lives because, Lord, we want to live as children in your freedom. We want to enjoy every bit of freedom that you died to pay for. So we thank you for that today, Lord, and, and I just pray that every one of us would carry that freedom and release that freedom to others as we go about life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So you guys go out there and be the church this week. And uh, it's going to be awesome. All right. We'll say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.